2: Coming up today on The Story. I came back, of course, from Fiji and wondered why, in the late 40s, where I had no energy to do anything. I should be vibrant. I should be, you know, plenty of go. One day, I was so bad that uh, Jan called the local doctor from about 20 kilometres away. We had a lot of confidence in him and he came rushing in. And he really thought that I'd died. The The Story.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today we have part two of Shelley Scowen's conversation with Ross Grant in New Zealand. Shelley was on holiday over there when she sat down with Ross to hear his adventurous life story. As we heard last time, Ross was only nine years old when he became a Christian and immediately felt a very clear call to be a missionary to India, which he went on to do. But his journey also led him to Fiji and several countries in Africa. Today we'll hear more of his missionary adventures as well as about his long battle with chronic fatigue syndrome.
1: It wasn't smooth sailing though. It wasn't just about going on safari in Africa. In fact, it was extremely dangerous. You were there in a war zone and uh, you've just been telling me off the record, I want you to repeat this story, (laughs) of a very memorable bloke, a time that you you led this bloke to the Lord um, in very memorable circumstances.
2: Yes, um, eastern Congo, right up in the mountains where Burundi meets, it used to be all Belgian Congo, um, a place called Bakava, which was the Belgium's resort right beside the lake, a beautiful place, or had been a beautiful place, and um, it was still very, very volatile with the uh, Congolese army coming in and and killing people and murdering, and, 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 and we saw them all and. And the uh, Belgium army really not being able to control, and then over it all was the United Nations, who came to town with their big white tanks and guns and so on, but never fired a bullet. And um, they go into these places and they they take out the the hotels or the the best places to live, and they. Prices go up for renting, and the local people, of course, can't afford any of that. It's also horrific stuff, walking down... I was overlooking the main street one day, and the army was having exercise down the street, and up the street came a a boy on a a motorbike and gently tried to swerve out of the way. But unfortunately, one of the the guys who was leading the army... uh, wasn't watching where he's going and came and and um, oh hurts me to tell you, but he 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 fell in front of this motorbike, well the whole army took to this poor guy on the motorbike, destroyed his motorbike and threw him into jail. And that guy would have been killed that night. That's mm. that's how volatile the situation is. It's just an, an everyday occurrence. Amongst all this, God was working, and uh, went to a conference where, where um, a local Congolese guy was, was teaching people how to plant churches. It was a very exciting thing. And there met a young fellow who was taking quite an interest in looking after us because it was his town and wanted to show us round. And so I made it my business to try and pour my life into this fellow as, as best I could because I wasn't taking the conference. So I invited him to come and have a coffee. So we found... <laughs> We found this little coffee bar and uh, I said, is it all right to come in here? And he says, yes, it's okay to come in here. So there were about four or five tables in this little room and in one corner were I think five or six soldiers from the Congolese army and their guns were traded on us as we walked through the door. On the other side, were the rebel army and there were five or six of them and their guns were trained on us. And then on the other corner there were a number of United Nations guys dressed in their white uniforms and their guns were trained on us.
1: What did they have against you? Oh, I was white.
2: Right. So you're um, I was Well, you know, white people don't visit there very often. There must be a journalist or somebody trying to expose whatever was happening. Yeah, okay. Um and so I thought, Well, God is with me and God is and God is here <laughs> and He's greater than all of this. So we ordered our coffee and sat down on the table right in the middle of it all and got to talking to the guy and in the conversation asked him whether he had ever considered what a real Christian was and whether he had in fact ever invited Jesus into his life. And he said, No he hadn't, but he would like to. So I said, "Would you like to do this in the quietness of your home?" And he said, "No." He says, "I don't. I want to do it now." And I said, "Oh goodness!" (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, "Okay, that's fine." Let's see how this goes. I um, I helped him make his and heard him through his prayer of commitment right there in that volatile situation, this young man came to faith in Jesus. And I've heard he's emailed me a few times and is going on strongly for God, but that was the most dramatic experience. Um, You know, even travelling there, we went to the airport from Bakavu and it's 15 kilometres and I think it took us five hours to get there through all sorts of roadblocks of people trying to stop us and getting money and all that sort of thing. And um, finally, after getting through all the all the the paraphernalia of getting onto these planes because they thought we were carrying contraband and all that sort of thing or maybe diamonds or whatever out of the hills which was just falling out of the hills by the way and um, I said to the guy which is our plane and he pointed to this wreck of a plane on the tarmac and I looked at Jan who was with me at the time and she looked at me and she said is this the plane and I said yes we're off (laughs) (laughs) So our luggage was thrown in the back of the plane and we hopped on board and I thought, I don't think this plane would be allowed to get off the the tarmac. But fortunately, we had a European pilot who is, I think, from Belgium. And Jan says, "Oh, he's got to get home to his wife and child, so he must be reasonably safe." So <laughs> we, we took off in this plane, and the, and the and the wings were flapping round, and the chair beside me was knocking back and forward. And I looked, at, turned round to Jan, and yelled at her, "You're one gutsy woman! Come on with me!" <laughs>
1: <laughs> the things you do for God, hey? we
2: do. Yeah, and, it's,
1: uh, that is an interesting point, though, because. You follow God wherever he leads, yep. and you trust in him for his provision and his um, security and safety. Absolutely. But at the same time, you are just as vulnerable out there as you are here back at home. And God doesn't always protect his missionaries. No. You know, the examples that jump to mind are Jim Elliott. Absolutely. Prime example. Um, Graham Staines and mm. the, their two little boys. Mm. It... Was that weighing on your mind? You know, the whole time there, you were in very real danger a lot of the time. Yeah, you just have to trust in There's God. a peace
2: that comes over you and say, Lord, I'm in the center of your will. Do you have actually placed me here. That's the best place to
1: be. Here?
2: And uh, Lord, if you take my life. Or one of the elders said to me when I got home, how would we know where you were and where to find you? And I said, I'm in the center of God's will. That's hmm. where I'll be. Yeah. But you can't do that. It's not right for the you to go off and not us not knowing. I said, well... That's what you sent me for, to trust God and to lead people to faith and lead people to 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 show that the leaders of churches how they could really take this gospel and have a huge impact upon the the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the most dramatic things that's happening today is people in Africa become Muslims, for example, by the Muslim people coming and saying, we'll give you $10 so that you can send your children to get educated if you become a Muslim. That's how easy it is to become a Muslim. And we say to them, well, how are you going to reach those sort of people? Standing on the corner and preaching is not going to impact those sort of people at all. And the exciting thing is to show them that they can start off with the Word of God and start at the book of Genesis, which the Islam really teaches, you see. Mm. And you teach them telling the stories of the Bible right through until they come to faith in Jesus when their eyes are opened. And it all becomes a reality to them. And you can't take that long process by standing on the corner and preaching. Yeah. It happens in relationship where you take away all the barriers and you talk to them about their faith and their God, who is, they see to be the, the same God.
1: Mm. Mm. And then sometimes God will use that um, street corner preacher to to have the harvest. Precisely. Um, when you've been doing all the planning, all and the hard watering. work. Yeah, yep. yep. yes. Interesting concepts. Um, In the years before you went to Africa, you were back here in Nelson and your health started to fail. Tell us what it was like when you were just losing energy and getting pain. Well, it it was
2: interesting. I came back, of course, from Fiji and wondered why at the age, you know, in in the late 40s where I had no energy to do anything. I should be vibrant. I should be, you know, plenty of go.
1: Are you just ageing. Uh,
2: <laughs> so I went to the doctor on no occasions, occasion, and um, he, they, they, they couldn't find anything wrong with me at all, and uh, said, well, you know, one day, one day we'll, we'll find out what happened. Well, within a couple of months, I got glandular fever with my, well, a couple of my family as well. And it was like a, a bullet that went off, and that put me really, really down into a health crisis. I'm very pleased to tell you that I, in all of that crisis, I never had one day where I had depression. And Many people who have that get into deep depression. Mm-hmm. I've never had depression with it at all because I believe that God is in control. could never understand why he walks us through paths that we can't understand. And, and knowing that my vision for God was so strong and, and people needed to be talked to about, about the faith in Jesus, etc., and here I was on, on my back. Yeah. Um, so, completely lost my capacity. Really, I was trying to build a house for us at the time, and I just had no energy, no ability to look after people and my family, etc. And no money coming in, of course, it puts extra stress on us, and Jan had to go to the powers that be, the government, and ask for some help, and uh, she found that very, very hard because mm-hmm. it never had to do that in our lives before. Mm-hmm. One day, I was so bad that uh, Jan called the local doctor from about 20 kilometres away. We had a lot of confidence in him, and he came rushing in, and he really thought that I'd died. It was that close, and um, he is, he again. Uh, tried various things over months to try and help me and he says it's a bit like an, an onion when you get these sort of health problems and you keep peeling the outside of the banana and um, the onion until such times you get right to the core and then you know what the real core of what is actually going on and he helped me in a great and we we actually we didn't have an awful lot but we've decided that because God had called us in a most amazing way, we needed to do everything to try and get our health right. Mm. So what we did was we sold all our possessions pretty much. And we went from for everybody that we felt our conscience would allow us to go to, to actually get some advice and worked very hard on trying to get some answers until we had $20,000 left and that's all we had. Um, and that was fine because we were both committed to getting things right. Um, I actually was always thinking about things I could do to actually bring in um, income, uh, but never had the capacity to keep going. Yeah. Um, it finally ended up um, selling houses, which Jan and I did finally together, and did quite well at that. But never really, I never just never had the capacity to continue on. One day I heard about. ...a lady who had uh, left Auckland, New Zealand... ...and gone and holidayed in Dinanoi in Britain... ...where she got chronic fatigue... ...ended up in hospital, which they often do over there... ...and put on a drip. And that was all the doctors could do for her. And she heard about a process called the lightning process... ...and her mother was very active with her... ...and she got out of hospital and went to the lightning process and was there for three days and um, was dramatically change of life. Nothing spiritual, nothing at all happened. It was to do with your, your brain, you being able to control your brain and your thought patterns and so on. She went out from there and went on a trip around the continent with her parents for three months and never had a moment of problem. Wow. Then you can actually look this up on The Lightning Process if you Google it. And you can find many, many testimonies of people who have chronic fatigue, chronic pain, all sorts of issues, and they've been um, dramatically life-changing. So I thought, well, well, we've got to do this.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today Shelley Scowan is in New Zealand and once again she's chatting with Ross Grant about his adventurous life journey, doing mission work in various countries. We'll hear more about his long battle with chronic fatigue syndrome and about the joys of running a motel with his wife when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Skowen in New Zealand, sitting down and having a chat with Ross Grant about his adventurous life journey. Before the break, we heard about his long battle with chronic fatigue syndrome. Next, we'll find out how he finally was able to gain victory in this area.
2: So we talked to people who have been on it and were um, uh, committed to go. And I said to Jan, you've helped me through so many things, but I'm going to do this myself. Which was a tough thing for a person who was as ill as I was.
1: Mm. And so. you had been for 25 years yep. with chronic fatigue. Yep. It was a huge part of your life. Mm. And as I t- you, you've pretty much tried everything. I've tried so every,
2: everything. It. Yeah. Um, Jan would just look at me, for example, and say, you're really feeling bad today. And I said, yes, I am. Mm. So uh, part of the thing is you try to analyze yourself every day, and that's not good for you. So I found out. Okay. Anyway, went on to this uh, lightning process course in Auckland and would listen to other people's stories and then got going with my own um, process over three days yeah. and came back and my wife could not believe the guy who walked through the door. Really? And I've never looked back since. Yeah. It's just been absolutely life-transforming. Just so amazing.
1: In a, in a very short nutshell, what is the lightning process?
2: The lightning process it helps you to actually train your mind or train and control your mind to deal with whatever issue you actually have there. Now some people would say, as this, this trainer says, you don't have ME or chronic fatigue anymore. I actually don't think that's right for me. There are times when Jan looks at me like she did yesterday for example, and she says, you are, you have the colour of an ME person. You're not you're not well, are you? And I would think, oh well, I got up this morning singing and I'm actually feeling alright, but Obviously, there's something not quite right there. Yeah. So I went up to my room, and I got out my little toolbox, not literally a toolbox, of things that I needed to actually do to actually bring my mind to control again, came down, and felt great again.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's different to you know meditation or you know thinking happy thoughts mm-hmm. or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just a way of just thinking about your body and about the pain and just taking it under control. We- so it's-
2: we haven't begun to understand how amazing God okay. has made us. Yeah. And, of course, me being who I am, I would keep talking about God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, on that, why didn't God heal you in the 25 years that you had it? You know, that must have been playing on your brain as well.
2: I don't no. know. I don't know. Why, God, why does God not heal some people and heals others?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm quite that... comfortable
2: with that. Yeah. I don't have any guilt about that. Yeah. Um, I did have a number of people who came to me and said well you've obviously got sin in your life etc I'm sorry that's a whole lot of garbage as far as I'm concerned because I I, every day commit myself to the Lord and there was no known sin that I hadn't actually confessed to the Lord Mm. and therefore I didn't see why God should be judging me because all the judgment was born on the cross anyway so why would he actually be judging me in that way
1: exactly but he allowed you to get this illness, mm. he allowed you to have it for 25 years for yep. some reason, you yeah. might be aware of some of those reasons already yeah. and you'll probably become aware of them when we get to heaven. Yeah. And then he allowed you to be healed, not in a church service, right. but by just retraining your brain. Absolutely. Which is different to most of these kind of testimonies that we hear on the radio in interviews like Absolutely. this.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. God is still God. Yeah. God I, I think sometimes we put God in a box. Yeah. And some of us have said, well, you know, because we've built up in an in a, in a, in a, in a old-fashioned way, that God can't do things. God can do anything He chooses at any time. Mm-hmm. I have no concerns about that. Yeah. He, choo- he chose not to use the, those sort of things for me in miraculous ways. But I look at my life and say, I'm a miracle in myself.
1: Absolutely. I mean, what He's
2: done for me and look given me you, a yeah. brand new life that I never never experienced for so many years. Mm. I'm 69 years of age and I'm rearing to go. <laughs> uh, when we're when, when out of the goodness of God, once we've actually moved on from this business, Jan wants to go back to work and that's fine. She's a little younger than I am, mind you. <laughs> I just want to get out there and serve the Lord. That's yeah. just, I'm ready to go.
1: Right now, you and your wife are managing a motel here in Nelson in New Zealand, and you were very successful with that. You've brought it to being number one uh, rated on TripAdvisor and doing very well. Mm. So what does a successful motel do? Well, you go and help your competition, of course.
2: Well, one of the things that business people <laughs> tend to do is they tend to be, it's a tall property syndrome. You know, yeah. if I can get to the top, I'm, I've actually, I'm successful. We yeah. don't see success in those, in those terms. Mm. Um, we see success as being able to help people to reach their potential. It doesn't matter who they are. So in terms of uh, of what we do in the motel, we're in the tourist business here. Yeah. So we're here to promote people coming to Nelson, New Zealand, which is a beautiful part of this country.
1: Mm, it's gorgeous.
2: And uh, so we promote uh, all the people who provide things for people to do when they actually come here we also encourage people who are also in the in the um, uh, motel industry to keep their standard up
1: yeah, to true. actually
2: uh, welcome people properly when they do come help facilitate them in the best possible way and make sure that they go and tell other people that we're you know, and how how good it is to, to be here to do that people tend to get very discouraged when things aren't going very well mm. one motel for example the the people walked out on the the premises. So the owner, who was an extremely unwell guy but rather a nice guy uh, came and uh, wanted to start again. So my wife, particularly, who's very good on administration, spent days and days with him in setting up his computer system and uh, running his refurbishing, helping him refurbish his motel and uh, really encouraging him in that way. And Today, he's number two in the town.
1: Behind you guys.
2: Well, he's behind us, but not <laughs> far behind now. And he, oh, just he helped can't.
1: him a little too well. <laughs> we, we don't
2: mind that. If he turned out to be yeah. number one, we'd say, well, then our job properly.
1: Yeah.
2: But sometimes our Christian faith gets in the way of us and we say, well, all we've got to do is actually be Christians ourselves. Well, yes. But faith is more about actually not only what we say, but what we do. And sometimes I, I do believe that faith and action go hand in hand mm. and also our mouth without,
1: without works is dead. Uh,
2: yes but also we, we, we do sometimes err on the side of actually doing everything but not actually saying sharing anything sharing
1: our faith yes absolutely so
2: real Christianity I believe is all about doing all the, the practical ministry but also allowing your light to shine for Christ and also being there with the right words so one of the yeah. exciting things that we have is we meet people from all over the world And on our website, etc., we make no bones of the fact that we belong to Jesus, etc. And we get some awesome experiences of being able to talk to people and put the right question at the right time. And we've seen much blessing of people in this industry, not only guests, but also people in the industry as well. Mm. There are those who want to pull a tall poppy down. we've had one bad experience of that one a mother motelier put a bad report on us Mm -hmm. and uh, so we found out who it was and went to approach them and they said well you had no right to be number one we're not number one, we've got to pull you down what? we thought well that's pretty pathetic yeah (laughs) so anytime any motels get any sort of um, rewards for what they're doing we're the first people on the phone to congratulate them and say keep going guys you're doing a great job
1: that's awesome
2: because most people don't actually do that today. They're not very good at encouraging, encouraging that we feel we should be different.
1: Yeah. Mm. yeah. What a great example of Christians in business serving mm. the Lord right where you're planted. Mm. You mentioned that you are um, looking to get out of this business sometime soon. And you're looking forward to whatever the Lord brings your way. Uh, yeah. Jen wants to go back to real estate for a while as well. Yes. What specifically, do you have any ideas of yourself, what, what you want to do?
2: One of the things, at 69 years of age, I have, I have moved from a place of being very prominent in terms of church leadership and evangelism leadership etc wherever I am to a place now where I can say I believe God has given me a new ministry in the sense that I have had a lot of experience I'm not proud of my experience but I feel I've got something to contribute to those who are at the front line Mm -hmm. and I'm an encourager by nature and one of the exciting things for me is to be able to go alongside the preacher who's preached his heart out and say brother you did a great job today
1: Well, I think you're a great example of someone who is connecting faith to life. And you have done right from when you were saved at the age of nine. Um, You've connected your faith into your everyday life. And it's just been such an encouragement talking to you for the last two days. (laughs) I've been tempted to make it into a week-long series with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just wonderful. So thank you for taking quite a lot of time out to have a chat with us today.
2: Lovely to talk to you.
0: Well, that was the conclusion of Shelley Scowen's two-part conversation with Ross Grant in New Zealand, sharing his life journey. We're so thankful to Shelley for bringing along her portable recorder while on holiday in New Zealand so that we're able to hear Ross's amazing adventures. One thing that stands out for me while listening to Ross's experiences is his ability to put his faith into action. Even after he'd left official ministry work as a missionary, He and his wife modelled their faith for others in the motel business by helping others, even the competition. But that's what we're called to do in whatever businesses we're working in. Let our light shine before men. As the Bible says, faith without works is dead. Well, thanks for joining us for part two of Ross Grant's Adventurous Life Journey. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. He locked me inside our apartment, and he said to me, John, you're a big boy now. You're 10 years old. I want you to be really brave. If it gets dark tonight and I'm not home, take yourself to bed. And off he went, and I was locked inside, and I was brave for about two minutes. And then I cried. Though I missed my mom. And um, off he went, and it got dark that evening, and he didn't come back. Actually, my father never came back at all. John Lawson is the author of the book, If a Wicked Man which tells of the story of his life of crime, but also about how God got a hold of his heart and turned his life around. We'll hear how God set him free next time. The Story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.